0: In the wonderful truth that our salvation is not by works, but by faith. Amen. I don't know if you're here this morning, you think I have to be good enough to be acceptable before God. Uh, let me tell you something. That's a lie from hell. I often say to people that, you know, when I ask them, well, what do you think it takes to to be accepted before God? And sometimes people will say, well, most often people say, well, if you lead a good life. Wrong answer. I then say to them, well, if that's true, if you could be good enough to be acceptable before God, then why did Jesus come and die on the cross? And here we see one of the most amazing exchanges of Scripture. A repentant thief had nothing to bring to Jesus he certainly didn't have a good life. He's being crucified for his thievery. And he says, Jesus, remember when you come into your remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, I can't think of a, a greater example of this example that that teaches us that it's not by works that we are saved, but it's a gift of God by grace through faith what a liberating truth right we bring ourselves whether we're thieves or whatever else we got going on in our hearts Jesus is just looking for a faith in him but in Mark Mark 15 39 we see a second amazing account of a man who turns to Jesus this time the centurion soldier when the centurion sees how Jesus died at the foot of the cross, he says this, Truly this was the Son of God. Again, an, uh, another amazing example of how men would turn to Christ. Now, what was a centurion? A centurion was a Roman soldier who had authority over at least 100 soldiers and at times up to 300. 300. Now, we read earlier in Mark that when Jesus was led to the cross, an entire battalion accompanied him because they were afraid of the riots because of Jesus' popularity. So this soldier would be paramount to a first lieutenant in the army today. Great authority, really, over men. And there's no doubt that this centurion would have seen dozens of crucifixions, and I'm sure on that day he didn't even begin to anticipate how he would respond as he stood at the cross and watched Jesus suffer for six hours. Now I'm sure Jesus first grabbed his attention when refusing the mirror mirror and wine. (laughs) Why would he do that? I'm confident that Christ further grabbed his attention on how he responded to those around him while they mocked him, spitted and gambled for his clothing, pronouncing, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or perhaps it was the thief who repented and said, Lord, remember me on this day. And he said, truly, I say to you, on this day, you'll be with me in paradise. Or perhaps at 12 noon, which Matthew records at that time as well as Mark, deep darkness came over the entire land where the sun itself was entirely blotted out. Matthew records there was also earthquakes at this moment. The earth literally shook before Christ would draw his last breath. While soldiers and others jeered and mocked, we see a centurion who believed on him. While other soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothing, we see him confess, truly this is the Son of God. While the chief priests mocked Jesus, we see a thief believe on him as Savior and receive the promise of eternal life. All of this is at the cross. I think of the words of Jesus himself. John 12, 32, he says, And when I am lifted up from this earth, I'll draw all men to myself and while jesus brought the vision a sword we also see how his death means great salvation to those who believe john 3 18, do not think that i came to condemn this world but that the world may be saved from me do you, do you believe in him this morning that that's the key question there is no other question really for your personal life Your response very much dictates your opinion about who Jesus is. But the cross doesn't stop there. We not only see Jesus dividing men, some believing, some mocking, but we also see Jesus fulfill something entirely great about himself. Jesus is high priest and temple of God. When we come to Mark 15, 37 and 38, we see a detail that Mark includes. That's also in Matthew and Luke. When Jesus breathed his last breath, uttering a loud cry, we read, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is this detail so significant? Why is this detail that all three Gospels, synoptic Gospels, includes two reasons first it points to jesus as being the temple itself and secondly it points to jesus as the high priest what does all that mean well put on your seat belts we're going to go through it in five minutes the curtain that matthew mark and luke and luke mentioned here is what divided the holy place in the temple from the holy of holies the holy place was where all the priests would go on a daily basis to offer blood sacrifices and other sacrifices for either thanks or atonement for sin. In other words, if you had broken the law, you were able to approach the temple in the what would be called the outer court. And you'd go to the priest with the sacrifice that you purchased, and you would bring that sacrifice to the priest, and then he would go into the holy place and Sprinkle the blood for atonement for your sin. That was the holy place. But the, beyond the holy place, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And that place was only entered once a year. Jesus, remember, called himself the temple, which the priests in Jerusalem couldn't grasp because he was speaking metaphorically here in John two nineteen. Jesus said prophetically when talking about the fact that he'd be raised from the dead and crucified said destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in 3 days. So odious by the way they didn't understand so odious is what Jesus said to these religious priests and uh, that that they raised this accusation at the cross at the trial Mark 15:58 Mark 15:29 aha you would destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. They didn't understand that Jesus was talking about himself. You see, prophetically, the temple was a picture of Jesus Christ himself. John, in chapter 1, put it this way, when he came and came to the earth, he tabernacled or dwelt among us. This design for the temple was given to Moses... 1,700 years before Jesus was crucified. It was given to Israel after they left Egypt into the promised land, traveling to the promised land. Its design was given so that when the law was broken, when they sinned, that there would be a way to have forgiveness and atonement. And so God gave specific instructions of this tabernacle, tent, And it was divided in several sections. The outer court where people can approach the priest. The priest who would be able to go to a holy place on a daily basis. And then the holy of holies that only could be approached once a year where a blood sacrifice was offered by the high priest. God gave this tabernacle so that when Israel would break the law and sin, they would have a way of forgiveness before him. Otherwise according to scripture, the breaking of the law would result in condemnation and alienation from God. So the tabernacle and the temple was God's act of mercy to Israel, which was a shadow or something pointing to something greater that would come, which would be Jesus himself. Interestingly, the holy of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant would be. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, above it was called the Mercy Seat. And below it would be underneath, and its lid was the Ten Commandments, the Law. And the picture is this that when you and I break the Law, we sin against God. We lie, or we cheat, or we have lustful thoughts in our minds, or whatever the sin may be. And all of us, remember, are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one here who is not a sinner. If you think you're not a sinner, come and see me. And you've heard me say this before. You're probably a narcissist. We've all fallen short. And we try to approach God, but we feel our sin. And what does God do? He says, you need to approach with blood. You need to approach with blood. This was God's way. And so the Jewish people had this type, this shadow. And then once a year, which we are known as Yom Kippur, that day the high priest would take a goat and spill and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And the divider between the holy place and the holy holy was this veil that was torn top to bottom when Jesus died. And it's a beautiful picture of how God's mercy triumphs over the law because now the way to the holiest place, the way to a relationship with God was torn for you and I that we may have a, a relationship, a personal relationship with God himself. Amen. And I want to finish with this. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. Listen to how profound this is now helps us understand all of this. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater or more perfect tent, that is the temple, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of blood of goats, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing eternal redemption. Then a few verses later, listen to what the Hebrew writer says. Since we now have confidence, what's our confidence? Jesus Christ. Since we now have confidence to enter to the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened up through the curtain That is his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Wow. Do you realize what is just said here? There's no sin in your heart or my heart that should keep you from a holy God. When Jesus paid the price on that cross for our sin, that veil, which, by the way, was six inches thick of fabric in the temple, perhaps 20 feet high, Torn at the moment of his death from top to bottom. Giving us access to a personal, loving relationship with God. Do you have that relationship? My prayer is you do. And as we finish up, if you are struggling to understand that, Pastor Mike is right up front here. He'll share with you the gospel help you understand it so that you don't leave this place today without experiencing that personal loving relationship that is for you. He died for you, for me. Amen. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of your love for us. And Lord, we pray that we would daily remember that the only reason we can have this beautiful, eternal, loving relationship with God himself is because of what Jesus did at the cross. Thank you for the thief who repented. Thank you for the centurion soldier who confessed. What wonderful pictures, Lord, of men who turn to you, and may every heart here this morning be yielded to you. In Jesus' name, amen.